Lord God, I pray that the words I'm about to speak and the thoughts that we think as we meditate on your word for us today, Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer, the source of reconciliation and life. Amen. So I think it was about 12 years ago, I preached a sermon here at Trinity Kimberly Way, and um, when you came into church that morning, this is what you saw right up here in front. It was, a, it was an empty casket with the lid up. And, uh, and uh, I still have people who remember that sermon will say to me, I hated that that morning when we walked into church and there was a casket there. We didn't know what was going on, right? Um, but, but I was trying to make a point, and the point was this, the casket wasn't actually empty. When it came time for the sermon, I had tucked a number of objects in underneath the part of the lid that was closed, and one by one, I took those objects out, and each one of those objects represented something that we work hard for in life or that, that we value in life. So, for example, there was a, a little toy car in there to you know, talk about our cars, our vehicles that we love, or there was a house in there to talk about our homes that we work hard for and, and we take care of and that we love. There was something in there representing our occupations or our jobs. There was something in there representing... Uh, our avocations, our, our hobbies, the things we enjoy doing in life. And one by one, as I took those objects out, what I pointed out was, even those thi- though those things were wonderful blessings from God and gifts that we should enjoy, that in the end, they couldn't go with us, that they were temporary, that, that they don't last, that none of those things are eternal. They all have a limited effect in our lives. Until the very end, the last object I drew out of the casket was a picture of my family. And I said, this is the one thing that God has given us that will last even beyond the grave. The one thing that God has given us that truly is eternal in our lives are our relationships. Our relationships with our family, with our friends. Those relationships truly can last forever. And that's why this series is so important. That's why we've been talking so much in this series about how we can reconcile our relationships, how we can fix the broken relationships in our lives because, folks, relationships matter. We began this series with this verse from 2 Corinthians that talking about how God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, And he has given us this message of reconciliation. The most important relationship we have, the relationship with our God, has been reconciled, it's been healed, it's been fixed through Christ Jesus. And now he calls us to be people of reconciliation. So how can we do that with the broken relationships in our lives. That's what we've been talking about. And we've been using the story of Jacob and Esau to help us look at that. Two brothers who from the very beginning were in trouble. Their relationship was in trouble. And before they were even born, we're told, they were twin brothers. Before they were even born, they were fighting inside their mother's womb. So much so that their mother went to God and said, God, I don't know what's going on here. And, and God warned her. He, she said, you have two boys, and, and, and they're going to they're gonna fight their whole lives. It's going to be a problem. If this is, they're they're going to they're gonna war with one another. One's going to deceive the other. And sure enough, when they were born, do you remember? Esau is born first, and Jacob is holding on to his heel. It's as if Jacob was going, no, 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 you're not going to be first, trying to pull him back so he could be born first. And in fact, they called him Jacob because Jacob means literally heel grabber. 
um, which, by the way, is kind of a, a, a metaphor for someone who deceives other people, a heel grabber, somebody who deceives other people. Literally, Jacob's name means deceiver. And, and sure enough, as they were growing up, Jacob and Esau were very, very different. Jacob was more of a homeboy. He liked to, he liked to be at home with his mother and, and help with the tasks around the home. He, was a, he, he, was, he took care of the livestock. Um, he, he was more domestic, but Esau was the hunter, right? And he loved to be the, you know, the outdoorsman. And, uh, and, and they weren't only different. They, they fought and they struggled together. We heard the story about how one day Jacob tried to trick Esau into giving him his share of the inheritance, his birthright. And how Esau, Esau let himself fall into that trap. And then we heard later about how Jacob um, deceived his father when he was old and feeble into giving Jacob the blessing that was supposed to be given to Esau. We also heard along the way how the parents were complicit in all this. You know, Jacob became his mom's favorite and Esau became his dad's favorite. And that just only made the problem between these brothers worse. So much so that we looked at uh, how finally Rachel said, I mean, finally uh, Rebecca said to Jacob, you better run away because your brother is gonna kill you. And so Jacob did. He, he ran away and it seemed like that relationship with his brother was broken forever. Now, by the way, I need to fill you in on a little of the rest of the story. While Jacob is in exile, he meets a woman and he wants to marry her. And so he goes to her dad, a guy by the name of Laban, and works out a deal where he can marry the daughter. But, but the dad pulls a trick on Jacob the deceiver and deceives him. And he actually marries her older sister. And uh, it, it's just this long, drawn-out problem. And by the way, I, I love the one line in there. Jacob, remember, what does Jacob mean? It means deceiver, right? Jacob goes to his father-in-law and he literally says to him, why have you Jacobed me? Why have you deceived me? What goes around comes around. Jacob's starting to experience a little bit of uh, what others feel when he deceives them. And finally, guess what? Jacob wears out his welcome with his father-in-law and he has to flee from his father-in-law as well. In fact, God comes to him and says, Jacob, you need to go. And, he, and then God tells him this. He says, I want you to return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Now, if you were Jacob, and you had run away from home 20 years ago because your brother wanted to kill you, when God said, I want you to go back home, what would be your first concern? Your brother, right? That broken relationship. Now, my guess is we've not had anything that dramatic happen to us in our lives, you know, where, you know, you had to go back home and you knew that the last time you were there, literally your brother tried to kill you, right? But my guess is we've all had that awkward moment where that person that we have a broken relationship with, where all of a sudden we had to face them. Maybe, you know, there was this person at work that you just can't get along with, and all of a sudden your boss calls you in and says, oh, you're going to be working with so-and-so on this project, and you're like, oh, no. Or, or maybe it was in your family. Maybe it was at Christmas time this year, and uh, you were going to Grandma's house, and Grandma said, oh, by the way, your cousin's going to be here. And you went, no. Not, not them. Or maybe it was something as simple as you were in the grocery store, and you turned around, and that old neighbor who you hated is standing there checking for a ripe cantaloupe, and you're like, can I sneak away, and they won't see me, Right? Folks, we all have broken relationships. 
And, uh, and our normal way to deal with those broken relationships is to avoid them. But sometimes we can't. And Jacob finds himself face-to-face with this broken relationship with his brother Esau. He's got to do something about it. And by the way, his fears were well-founded. Because we're told in Genesis 32, as he's getting close to where his brother lives, that he sends out some scouts ahead of him, and they say, your brother's coming, he's coming to meet you, and he's coming with 400 armed men. That was an army in those days. No wonder Jacob was afraid. So what did Jacob do? He just trusted in God and everything went great, right? Well, not yet. First of all, Jacob decides... He's, he's got to think tactically here. And so we're told he does a couple of things. In Genesis 32, it says this. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking if Esau attacks one of them, at least the other one could escape. So first of all, he employs some good tactics. He divides his camp, divides his wealth, and he thinks, okay, if Esau comes, he's going to see one of them and attack, and then at least I'll save half my stuff. But then he he does something a little more. He gathers some of what he has, some of his flocks, some of his uh, stuff, and he takes some servants. He says, I want you to go to Esau with stuff, and I want you to give him this stuff as a present and say, this is a present from your brother Jacob. And, And by the way, he sends three groups of people like that with these gifts. He thinks, if I lavish enough gifts on Esau, maybe by the time I get there, he'll decide he doesn't want to kill me anymore. And then he's got a third plan, one last thing, and and that is he takes the closest family that are with him that weren't in either of those other two camps, and and he goes to the Jabbok River, and uh, Esau's on the other side, and he takes his family, and he puts them on the side with Esau, and he hides on the other side. So think about it. Jacob is working hard to save his own family behind. He's got his, most of his stuff out there divided in two camps. Hopefully one will escape if Esau attacks the other. He sent a bunch of gifts on ahead. He's got his family across the river. So if Esau gets through all that, at least they'll kill his family first. And he's hiding on the other side of the river. Wow. Now, there's one more thing about Jacob that I want to make sure you, you didn't miss if you've read through this story. Uh, Go all the way back to chapter 31 when he's arguing with his father-in-law Laban, and and he says something to Laban that I think is really interesting. He says to him, he says, if the God of my father, who was his father? Isaac, okay? And who was Abraham to him? His grandfather. He says, so if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, my grandfather, and the fear of Isaac, my dad, had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. In other words, he says to Laban, look, the God of my grandpa and the God of my dad is on my side. That's why I've gotten away like this. Notice anything about that? Let me show you one more. This is in Genesis 32. He's actually praying to God now. He's worried, he's concerned, and he says to God, O God of my father Abraham and of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country. He goes on, do you notice anything about that? Who does he not say he is the God of? Himself. He doesn't say, my God. 
He says, the God of my dad and my grandpa. That's interesting, isn't it? Folks, something is still wrong in Jacob's life. Even though he's finally, uh, you know, he's been deceived just like he used to deceive others, it's kind of like he's gotten a little taste of his own medicine, there's still something missing in his life. He's going back to Esau and he's scared, and, and so he's worked really hard to preserve his own hide. And when he prays to God, he doesn't say, my father, he says, the God of my dad and my grandpa. Well, there's this amazing story that happens in Genesis chapter 32. And, and I want you to take a quick look at it with me. Um, he, Jacob, is, remember, now he's all alone. He's scared. His family's on the other side of the river. His camps are out in front of that. He sent his gifts on. He doesn't know what the next day is going to bring when Esau shows up with his 400 men, with his army. And we're told that as he's laying there at night... He wrestles with God. Now, we don't know whether that was a literal physical wrestling. It's described as that. Maybe the author is just being uh, you know, poetic and saying that. But, but, but he literally describes this time where Jacob wrestles with God. And two things happen as a result of him wrestling with God. Now, now before I get to those, I just want to ask you, have you ever wrestled with God? I have. I, I, I've, I've lain there in bed awake at night trying to figure out why in the world something is going on in my life and wrestled with God going, God, why are you letting this happen? Why aren't you doing something about this? Why aren't you showing up to take care of this? But specifically, as we talk about relationships, have you ever wrestled with God this way? You know, you knew you were going to see that, that member of your family that you've been estranged from and that you've had a problem with, that, that person that took advantage of you or treated you poorly or maybe even physically or emotionally hurt you, and God tapped you on the shoulder and said, okay, now's the time to fix this. And you were like, why, God? Why would I do that? I'm just going to get hurt again. Why would I try to fix that relationship when they don't want to fix that relationship? We wrestle with God. God taps us on the shoulder, and we know what God wants us to do. We just don't want to do it. So, so Jacob wrestles with God, and I said there were two things that happened as a result of it. First of all, God gives Jacob a new name. He says, you're not going to be called the deceiver anymore. You're not going to be Jacob anymore. Now you're going to be the guy who wrestled with God, the one who struggles with God. And then he does something else. We're told that as they're wrestling, Jacob won't let God go, and so God touches his hip. And, and by the way, whatever else has happened to this point, literally, we're told that as Jacob gets up from his bed the next day, he, he, he walks with a limp, and he does the rest of his life. Now, why did God do that? Well, here's what I think. You see what you think. I think the reason God did that is he wanted Jacob to, I mean, he wanted Israel now to have a permanent reminder that on his own, he really couldn't do anything, that he was weak. But with God by his side, he could do everything. And if his relationship with Esau was going to get repaired, it was God that was going to do that. He wanted Jacob to rely on him. So what happened? Well, 
the heel grabber becomes Israel, the, the struggler with God. And uh, the next day, when we looked at the story, did you notice what it said? He gathers all his people back together, and they go to meet Esau and his 400 men, and Jacob walks first. The guy who had been hiding behind his family behind the river the night before, now boldly, by himself, leads the way to his brother Esau. And by the way, we're told he made an altar in that place. And do you know what he named the altar? God, the God of Israel. The God of me. For the first time, he refers to God, Jacob does, as my God. Not the God of my grandpa, not the God of my dad, my God. What a beautiful picture. Folks, in our other reading today, we heard again more of that Corinthians verse that's been our theme for this series. These are beautiful words. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Just as God gave Jacob a new name, a new identity, God has given you and I new identities too. Folks, we've talked about this along the way. Anytime a relationship is broken, it's not just a one-way street. We have to acknowledge our own problems in our relationships with others. But God says that that those problems are in the past. They're gone. He's given us a new life. Every day is a new start. And so when we think about reconciling relationships, we need to, to think about the fact that we're not the same person anymore. We're not the same person because of what God has done for us. I love how that's in the past tense. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation, the old has gone. It's gone. And the new has come. You are a new person through Christ. And I love a a verse that comes after our theme verse for the series. Uh, Near the end of the section, it says this. It literally describes what happened on the cross in an amazing way. It says, for our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. On the cross, Jesus takes his sin-free life and he gives it to you and me. And on the cross, he takes our sinful life and he places it upon himself. We become a new creation through Christ. And folks, it's that power that gives us the ability to reconcile our relationships. I love how this story ends. Oh, but yeah, I forgot, I wanted to point this out to you. I, do, you do you remember the story of Job? He, he's wrestling with God throughout the whole book, and then finally God shows up and talks to him, kind of like God showed up and wrestled with Jacob, and, and this is what Job said. He said, before I had only heard about you, God, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. That's how Jacob felt, and that's how we feel too because of Jesus. Now, here's how the story ends. Jacob goes on before, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But when Esau sees Jacob bowing and approaching him, he comes running to Jacob, and he embraces him, and he falls on his neck, and he kisses him, and they weep together. Obviously, God had been working in Esau's life, too. The two of them come together, and... and, Finally, maybe for the first time in their lives, these brothers have the kind of relationship God wanted for them. Now, it wasn't perfect. As you heard as our reading went on today, 
you know, Esau's like, well, why don't you come with me? And Jacob's like, eh, I'm not quite sure I trust you yet. Why don't you go on ahead with your army? And Esau goes, well, let me leave some of my soldiers here with you. No, no, that's okay. You don't have to leave any of your soldiers with me. That's fine. They're going to have to rebuild their trust. But they're on the right track. Folks, here's our prayer as we conclude this series, that, that, that we would, first of all, rely on the new creation that we are through Christ. And we would let that new creation that we are through Christ empower us to live new lives, especially when it comes to our relationships. And that, that, that we would go ahead and wrestle with God about those relationships, but we would trust in God's power, not our own, to fix the broken relationships in our lives. Because ultimately, in the end, relationships are all that really matters. Amen.